Welcome to Noble Warrior. This is a place where entrepreneurs talk about what it takes to build a purpose-driven life. We're going to talk about mindset, mental models, actionable tactics, such that you can take everything you learn and build your own purpose-driven life. My name is CK Lin. I've been a biomedical engineering PhD from UCLA. I've been a director of the University of California system. I've been in technology. I've been an executive coach. I am on a quest to find what it takes to create a life of meaning and purpose. My next guest has been a serial entrepreneur who has had multiple successful exits, earthweb.com, dice.com, iamplify.com. He is the creator and the composer of the immersive musical experience, My Travel. He has been featured all around the globe over 500 times with over 100,000 people have experienced his beautiful creation. His mission is to move people to purpose through music. Please welcome Mori Hideri. Hey, CK. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to, to do this with you. I want to start out with something super simple. I know that you're, you've been a serious meditator for many years. How was box breathing for you before we start our podcast? Oh, I enjoy it very much. Uh, very similar to the technique I do on my own. And really any intentional breathing where we're purposefully and deliberately paying attention to our breath is so rewarding and so beneficial. So it's a great way to ground any practice, any meeting we're about to have. So it was great to do it before we jumped on here. And I recommend it to you know anyone before meeting, before an important phone call. It's really a great way to make sure you're going into that experience grounded. I'm really excited to be talking to you for a couple of reasons, because I've experienced your beautiful creation twice. One at the Santa Monica Pier yeah. and one at someone's house in Malibu. Both different, both are both very similar. And I was looking at some of the, the testimonials that people have given you. They compare your experience, the mind travel experience as a religious, as a spiritual experience. It's heart opening, it's mind expanding, and really empowering them to free themselves from worldly concerns. So I'm curious, was that the intention that you set out to do, or was it accidental that you stumble upon this? CK, what I do publicly today is what I had been doing privately for myself for many years. So what I call mind travel today, which for some of your audience who may not be familiar with it, is an immersive music experience. So as a composer and a pianist, I take participants, groups, audiences through this immersive musical journey at the piano. And usually it's set in beautiful natural settings like the beach where you experienced it or in Central Park or just epic locations. So we bring together nature music and the collective community. But for me, prior to doing it publicly, that was my own practice. I would sit at the piano and at the end of every crazy, stressful day, especially when I was in my 20s and 30s building startups and tech companies, at the end of the day, I actually had a grand piano in my office in New York. But when I had offices that didn't have a piano, I would do it at home. And I would sit at the piano and I would just play whatever I was feeling out of me. I and mean, especially because I was improvising, it allowed for whatever I was going through to just be released. 
And that's really the key thing is just, we all accumulate stress, especially if we're up to a lot in life. If we're really trying to create something fresh and new and pioneering, then by nature, we're going to encounter obstacles. There's going to be challenges. And so if we're up to big things in life, that means there's stress that comes along with it. And that's okay. As long as we manage through that stress and we don't let it overwhelm us or we you know, suppress it. So that's what it was for me. It was a meditative practice through music. And when I saw the power of it, when I saw what it did for me in my life, both in terms of managing stress in business, as well as personally, just being able to regulate and manage my own emotional state, I said, you know what? I think it's time for me to share this with the world. And that was about six years ago, five, six years ago. And as you mentioned, we've now brought it to so many people, so many cities and countries. And But that's really the origins of it was what I did for myself. And I saw how effective it was and I wanted to share it with others. So I met plenty of Silicon Valley founders of our time. And, and one of them in particular, he also was raised with classical music training and he would deliberately have a keyboard by his bedroom and then use it as a way to remind him not to get into music because he thinks that that's a distraction. Uh -huh. so, so I'm curious to know, so from someone like you, who is a successful entrepreneur and also a very successful musician who were able to merge the two together, what would you say to this entrepreneur who's listening, who thinks music is a distraction? I would encourage him or her to come to a mind travel experience because for me, what this music offers, and again, I wouldn't classify all music in this category. There's lots of different kinds of music, just like there's a lot of different kinds of food and not all food is good for you, right? Mm -hmm. um, junk food every day, we know the effect of that on our health. Um, if we consume and listen to certain kind of music that may not be fulfilling, to us, it has a similar effect of distracting us. And so I think it, of course, depends on the kind of music and the intention of the listening. But for me, life is such a noisy place. I mean that literally and metaphorically. There's so much distraction. There's so much pulling us in different directions. And it's also just a physically noisy place, especially if we live in cities. So for me, the music is that grounding anchor to what's important so that I could actually reduce the noise and find the music through the noise. And again, I mean that literally and metaphorically. When you're running a company, it's all about distraction management. You got to really anticipate and uh, filter what's important, what's not important, what requires your resources, what doesn't, where to invest your resources, where to invest your time, how to prioritize. These are all critical decisions an entrepreneur makes because if there's not unlimited you know, resources in all those areas. So you have to really pick and choose. That means you have to separate the signal from the noise. And how do you do that? There's approaching it in the right frame of mind is key. And I find that when I'm grounded in the music, I'm in touch with that kind of deepest drive of myself, mm. right? passion that's driving the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing in the first place. Mm -hmm. I'm connecting with that part of myself. Mm -hmm. And when you're operating from that truest part of yourself, then the decisions you make will ripple out based on that frame of reference. If you're too easily distracted from other things and pulled in one influential direction or another, 
you may not be making choices from the right frame of mind, which is that truest part of you that chose to set that course in action to begin with. That part of you that hit that first domino to get the website.com, to start the name, and just to build what you're building. There was some purity in that. There was some beauty in that, innocence in that. There was, so it was about creativity and imagination and making a difference and creating a product or a service that was valuable, that resonated with you and your values. That was probably part of it, whether you were really aware of it or not. But we can easily get distracted, especially when there's investment and investors and shareholders and, and customers pulling you in different directions with the product. It's easy to get off course. And so tapping back in to that core purity and the mind travel music for me and for many others, as you mentioned, it really just snaps you right back to that pure place of self. Thank you for that. There are so many things I can say about this. And here's what I'll say to my friend, if he's listening right now, <laughs> what Murray is pointing to, and I, I use a, a, a metaphor that I learned from transcendental meditation. They like to use in terms of consciousness, the surface of the ocean is right. where the, all the waves are happening is at the surface of consciousness. But as you practice meditation, you go deeper and deeper into the deepest part of the ocean. Then, and, and over there, everything is static. You don't hear any of the noise. You can get to the source of who you are. You can also tap into the source of your creativity as well. So what, what Murray is, is pointing to for him, music is part of the way to drop in into the deepest source of who he is, his purpose, his creativity, the quiet, the mind. Now for you, whoever's listening, it may be a CrossFit type of activity a moving meditation of, of some sort, like David Goggins style, like burn away the, the neurotic thoughts through sheer suffering. That may be your thing, but what Murray is pointing to is whatever it may be, have a process such that allows you to really get to the source of who you are. Is that an accurate uh, re reflection of what you said? Absolutely. And also CK, as we started the conversation, right, this idea of what are you doing as either an entrepreneur or just anyone, what are you doing? What are your practices to downregulate, right? To regulate your emotional state. And it could be doing a workout. I think that's a very effective way to get the body in, in, in a certain kind of releasing certain types of energy. But in addition to that, our emotional states also need that exercising, if you will. So for me, playing the piano is like going to the emotional gym, going to the spiritual gym, if you will. Mm. I think both are important. Both are key. Uh, I love that you used music as a way to get to that state of equanimity. I think you were quoting um, Beethoven. He said, music is the medium to bridge the essential and the spiritual. Can you speak right. a little bit more about that part, the spirituality aspect of it, the deepest part? Because I know that you're a huge fan of consciousness as well. Can you speak a little bit more about spirituality, consciousness? Absolutely. Consciousness in, in the realm of experience is the thing we understand least in the universe, which is remarkable. I'm talking from a scientific point of view. Um, from a physics point of view, from a biological point of view, which is remarkable since it's probably the most important thing in terms of the human experience is an experience in consciousness, right? We are aware of our own experience experiencing. So that in and of itself distinguishes us, right, from so many other species. And yet we know so little about its mechanisms. 
right? From a scientific point of view, essentially, all we can truly understand is that when we bring a certain number of particles together that form these bodies and brains, that critical mass at some point triggers consciousness. And it's just a remarkable phenomenon. And so when we think about the human experience, we have the sensual experience. And what I mean by that in reference to what Beethoven said is the experience of the world of the universe through our senses. And we have, of course, the five most common senses, but there's other senses as well that we have. But essentially, we are filtering the outside world through that. So our experience of the world is quite literally our own senses interpreting it, and it's an internal experience. What we see out there is actually happening inside our minds. Yeah, on this podcast, we call it the external reality and then the subjective reality. That's right. And, and ultimately, anything we can state is only subjective reality. There's nothing that we can personally vouch for that is other than subjective reality. Correct. And so when we take that from the physical to the emotional, we're dealing then with just an extension of that because everything that we feel emotionally right, is based on certain thoughts and belief systems that we have, certain conditionings and things that kind of from our past. When we are experiencing our emotional reality, we are we are also coming at it from a very subjective point of view. Many people think that their emotions are absolute truth, but they're only one data point. They're only one subjective perspective. That means if they're subjective and if we want to be in relation to other people and to the world around us, then by understanding that and having some way to interface with everything around us becomes critical. And then we take it the spiritual order of things. And there, for me, what that means is a relationship with what is hidden from those other two realms, okay? Mm. So we certainly can understand there are experiences that are hidden from our senses, mm -hmm. right? Now, for thousands of years, most phenomenon like electromagnetism was hidden from us. Now our phones and our computers operate based on, on that because we've been able to unhide that physical truth of the universe and build tools around those frequencies. Same with radio frequencies and all, all types of other x-rays and uh, microwaves. It's basically unhiding truths of the universe and then employing them to our benefit. And I think there are many others, right? You look at the pioneering work of physicists who are looking at dark energy and dark matter. We have a very vague sense of what those actually are, but we're very early on in the understanding of those phenomena, yet they comprise combined dark energy and dark matter, 96% of the visible universe. So. <laughs> Go figure. We think we know so much about the world around us, the universe around us, yet all matter, stuff made up of particles like me and you, is only represents about four to five percent of the universe. So there is so much that's still hidden to us. And for me, that's exciting, right? That means there's so much to yet be discovered. Music, since it is the language of vibration, it is using vibration frequencies to communicate 
albeit in a very complex, multi-layered language, allows for that interface, right? Beethoven was talking about, right? Between what we can sense and what we can't sense, what is just beyond our ability to, to sense, which means if it's beyond our ability to sense, then it hints at this inability to express it with language, with verbal language, because we can only express with verbal language what we have access to, right? Because we would only have words for things that we have experienced or we have theorized. But if it lies beyond that realm, then how could we imagine verbalizing it? So we need a language that transcends the word. And that language that we have as human beings is music. There's a wonderful saying that when we lack the words, we turn to the poet. But mm -hmm. when the poet lacks the words, she turns to music. And mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a very specific reason for it. Language, human language, no matter what language you speak, is a linear form language, right? It, it goes, you know, one word in front of the other, one letter in front of the other, one word, one sentence, one paragraph, and that's how we communicate and ideas. Uh, music operates in multiple dimensions. You can have more than one instrument playing, more than one melody at the same time, right? We call that harmony, counterpoint, polyphony. These are all words that are defining a more complex language. So it's literally, CK, the equivalent. If you were to think about the physical universe, right? We live in a 3D physical universe, right? Plus mm -hmm. time. So four dimensions, but three spatial dimensions plus time. Imagine you lived in a two-dimensional universe. You can only go in, right, in, in two different vectors. Imagine you lived in a one-dimensional universe. You can only go right to left. That's it. That's what human language essentially is compared to music. You can go from here to there in human language. It's linear. But now look at music. You can go in vertically and horizontally in multiple dimensions with lots of different elements like rhythm and timbre and counterpoint and all these elements that conspire to allow for an infinite amount of human expression beyond which we might have words for. That's yeah. the magic of music. Yeah, for sure. What you said is language is, is an abstraction of whatever it is that you were trying to create. Uh, Lao Tzu said it, Dao Te Gao, Fei Chang Dao in the Dao Te Jing. It means the opening sentences, if you can say, it's not it, this is not the Dao, right? Yeah. If you can articulate this thing, it's not that, yeah. it's, it's around it. So I love that you use music as a way to, as a, to portray the multi-dimensionality of whatever it is that you're trying to, trying to articulate. So when you are creating something in real time, first and foremost for yourself, what's your intention as you're dropping in? Are you following an emotion? Are you following a wave? Are you trying to, as uh, Elizabeth Gilbert would say, you're merely the conduit. You're trying to get yourself out of the way as much as possible. Can you share with us the subjective experience as you're composing music in real time? Absolutely. Playing an instrument, especially like the piano, and I've played many instruments, so I can relate to lots of them, but the piano in particular, because you're playing with both hands, technically, it accesses the subconscious and the conscious at the same time in a very profound way. When you're playing the piano, there's certainly things you can think about in terms of, oh, I want to try this or do that, play this louder, play this softer, play this note, play that note. 
on some other level, right? That's the conscious level, the surface level. Like you described the ocean, you have the surface level of the ocean waves. But then there's the deeper part from which the mind is playing the piano. And that part is connected at a subconscious level with muscle memory to your body, especially to your you know, hands. Um, but I say your body because you don't only play the piano with your hands. You truly do play it with your whole, with your whole body. Your fingers are the final execution points, but you're playing it with your entire being. So there are wirings between your, the muscles of your body and your hands and your brain that you may not even be aware of. Uh, or conscious of. And, th and that comes from the thousands of hours of practicing and forging those fiber optic connections. So that means that there's two kinds of expression that are available to the musician. One is a very conscious, intentional one of, I am going to play this song and, da -da -da, and play it or even improvise in very specific ways. Then there's the subconscious part of it, which is I'm going to just try to get myself out of the way consciously so that my subconscious can have more freedom of expression. Now, we also know that the subconscious is where most of our emotional states lie, right? We may be able to articulate, if we have some emotional literacy, we may be able to articulate our emotional state in any moment and what we're feeling, but ultimately emotions are not linear either right? Yeah. They're quite multidimensional. Mm -hmm. So that means there's probably a lot that we're feeling that we're going through that we're not even necessarily aware of. Yeah. And certainly we know that is connected with the body as well. Our emotions vibrate through our bodies, meaning they're felt and they're embodied. There's a wonderful book, The Body Keeps the Score, right? Mm -hmm. of, our, of our experiences in life. And I, I truly do believe that. And so to the extent that we can vanquish those emotions, process them, absolve them, then we can ease their hold and their grip um, on the body, whether it's stress, tension, disease, etc. Going back to the playing, again, getting out of our own way on the surface level of consciousness means that you're allowing that already existing connection to sing, right? To come forth, to emerge. And there's very specific things I do to achieve that. And that comes from just a huge amount of practice doing it. But when I'm not playing a composed piece, meaning a piece by a, another composer or something I wrote specifically that I've memorized, then when I'm improvising or creating these, what I call real-time compositions, it is a composition, but it's unfolding in real time. Okay. And that allows for the arc to feed on itself. It's a feedback loop. I play something and then I'm hearing it and allowing the next part to be informed by that. So that's about getting out of your own conscious way so that your deeper self can express um, through the music. Could you say the sense of touching whatever you call it, the divine, the inner knowing, your muse, creativity, can you say a little bit more about that part? Why I want to ask that? Because I would say not a lot of people have that intimate relationship with their inner knowing, their intuition. But you do because you practice constantly as well. If through your language, 
perhaps we can help people getting more awareness of, oh, this is what intuition feels like. Oh, I should listen to this inner whisper a little bit more versus the egoic shouting up on the surface of the ocean. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's two kinds of practicing, I think, that we're talking about here. One is, of course, the, there's the physical, technical practicing of the music, uh, which I've done a lot of. But then there's the, the practicing of listening to our emotional selves and forging that connection. That's something that is not as readily available for many people because it's easily suppressed. Why? Because it may be difficult to deal with. It could be, first of all, it could be just very distracting. It could be very painful. Mm -hmm. um, and so people tend, of course, to want to avoid pain and distraction. So they distract themselves from any emotion that may be unsettling. Mm -hmm. And so most people lead a life of distraction because it's easy to forget about what you may be feeling and going through if you just binge watching TV or if you're going out and having drinks with friends or drinking on your own or doing things that are potentially more unhealthy. Mm -hmm. So if we can cultivate the practice of self-reflection, which simply means being in a state of listening to yourself without judgment, just I'm just observing and listening to what is arising within me and just accept it as it is not trying to change it one way or the other, but just allowing for it that cultivates the muscle of vulnerability. Now to the extent, the first step is of course, feeling it yourself. The second step would be to share it. If you can share it with a loved one, a partner, you know, a significant other, a friend, then you're now really hardening that muscle in a very positive way and developing the strength of that muscle and the flexibility of that muscle. Because vulnerability, in addition to being very healthy for any of us as in terms of just processing and releasing your own emotions, also forges better connections and relationship and more intimacy. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I think that's something that we're all striving for is more intimacy with others and with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Now, the music brings all that together in one experience. Because if you don't have the vulnerability or the emotional intimacy, it's very difficult, not very difficult, it's impossible to communicate that to others. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was about cultivating both practices of being able to technically play, but also being able to express what I'm going through what I've been through or what I can conceptualize emotionally and spiritually to transmit that and translate that. Yeah. So you must, you have to have both if you're going to move people. What you just said reminded me of a TED talk made by one of the conductors of the Boston Philharmonic. His name is Ben something. And he was demonstrating through a piano the learning process in the beginning of the piano playing is very mechanistic, right? You're just hitting the notes and then you learn about the mechanics and then the piano became uh, a part of you as a part of your uh, self-expression. Then yeah. you, can, you can express your whole being through the, the piano. I think that's exactly what you just described. Yeah. It's, it's important to learn the mechanics. Bruce Lee didn't just say, all right, uh, one day I'm going to do the three inch punch. 
he, he practiced thousands of times the, the kicks, the moves, the basic, the fundamentals. Then he can use the muscle memories as, and his body, those punches, the, those kicks as part of his self-expression as an artist. Is that an accurate reflection of what you just said? Absolutely. And we take the Bruce Lee example and I, I trained in martial arts uh, tremendously, oh, especially when I was younger. Yeah. Wow. Uh, cool. Because it was such a beautiful, it's a beautiful art form. I, I trained in Aikido was my particular form, but regardless, what's beautiful about it is that yes, you train in the specific techniques endlessly. You repeat them and repeat them and repeat them till they're part of your physical movements. But then when you're in an encounter, so now you're in relationship with either an assailant or your practice partner, right? Now you're in a forced improvisational relationship. They're not necessarily going to attack you with the thing that you train with specifically on Thursday, <laughs> you know, right? They're going to attack you how they attack you. So it's about your improvised response combining both your conscious surface level as well as your deeply ingrained subconscious, the bonds you created with your body in terms of reactions. It's about both together. Yeah. And music is the same is the same way. In the case of music, the feedback loop does not include someone throwing a punch at you. It depends on the concert, but it typically doesn't. But it involves the music herself giving you the feedback loop. So you play the note, the hammer hits, the string vibrates, the air molecules hit your ear, and, the, and then the process goes. So it's truly like a wave in the ocean uh, that you're surfing on. And then it's about how do you stay on that, on that sweet spot of the wave. One other thing I want to also want to underline here is you had talked about using music as a way to fine tune your own emotional response. I wanted to, to touch more on that. So part of it is hearing the music. The music is a catalyst to see, oh, how do I feel in a particular way when I hear this note or this series of notes? And then first of all, acknowledge for yourself, the listener. Yeah. And once you feel that, you can jot notes or take journals or you can think about some memories that you just thought about. Oh, okay, there's this comfort or this mixture of emotions that I feel as I'm hearing this music. And this is actually what uh, a lot of your testimonials are all about like you really brought them back in some memory that they totally forgotten when, when they were a little child and they are able to now articulate that memory to another person and that also is part of the quote-unquote purging process the emotional process and then from that then they can go deeper and allow the yeah. the somatic trauma or stress to move away because now they have acknowledged this thing that has happened and now that can move away is that accurate reflection on what you said Yes, yes. Even when you think about just more traditional meditation, in lots of different meditation traditions, the experience may not always be, oh, I'm just feeling very relaxed and calm. Sometimes the opposite. When you're in an authentic meditative state, what happens is that you're actually, again, allowing for stuff to rise up, right, from beneath the surface of the ocean so that it can rise up and release. The music operates in a very similar way. It provides the context. It creates this container with which people can journey into the subconscious in a very effective and powerful way, very quickly. Within seconds, within minutes, they are very deep into other realms of self-reflection. And that can 
take on a whole host of experiences depending on where the person's at. For some people, it can manifest as memories that rise up. I certainly have had many memories. By the way, I, it's different for me when I play than when I actually just listen to the to a recording. So I consume mind travel in the same way that other participants do, just not when I'm playing it. So it's a different experience for me when I'm playing it. But when I'm just listening to it, whether I'm driving or whether I'm lying down and having my eyes closed and going on the journey, it could bring up memories that I just haven't thought about. Again, because music through its patterns and through its uh, mechanisms can actually remind us of these memories and access different parts of the brain because of those neural firings. So it's very good at that. Also, it can allow for the release of these emotional states because it provides that emotional language that we may not have been able to give it verbally. And so now we find ourselves actually in feeling. The music is making us feel this. It's, it's allowing for this feelingness to take place. Mm. And then that triggers a process of self-inquiry into what's coming up. Can I articulate? why I'm feeling what I'm feeling. And maybe you don't need to, maybe just feeling it is enough. And that's okay too. You may not know why. It could be something from a long time ago. I've had people tell me that the memory associated with an emotional state could, could have been from 20, 30 or more, or more years ago. So who knows? The mind is very complex and it's very mysterious. I want to share with you, Murray, uh, one of the most powerful principles that I've come across when it comes to release is this principle called duplication. So the person that introduced this to me basically saying that, you know how sometimes you have uh, a, a jingle or some piece of music that just loops in your head over and over again, you can yeah. go off like it's, and it's maddening, right? You're like, how the hell do I get rid of this thing? It's just playing over and over. Yeah. The easiest way to actually get over it is you, if you actually listen to the whole song from beginning to end and then pay attention to it. Because he essentially is saying it's an open loop that your mind is trying to close. It can't right. close because missing a bits and pieces of right. it. So how do you actually do duplication when it comes to some past trauma or stress or memories or some psychosomatic thing that your body takes on? Our subconscious consists of mental images thoughts, emotions, and body sensation. So as you experience some kind of a triggering event that incites some kind of memories that you have, go back and duplicate what you experience, the image, the thoughts, the feelings, emotions, and body sensations. And once your brain registered and are able to close the loop, this thing disappears altogether. So That's I think right. what you provide is essentially a catalyst to trigger some of these surface level and you go deeper and deeper into a more deepening experience in life, then yes. will allow those neurotic thoughts to go away. Would you agree? Yeah, that's beautifully said, CK. Very well said. I, I, I tend to think about it like I want to meet the listener where they're at and then raise them up. So if someone is in a difficult situation, a sad state, a depressed state, uh, a grief state, whatever it is, I want to meet them right where they are. Now, some people might say, well, you're just going to make them feel worse if you, if you play music that's feeding into that. And my experience is exactly the opposite to your point, which is you meet them where they're at. 
then there's a resonance, there's a relatability, and then from there, together, you slowly, gently rise up to the surface. That's what worked for me in challenging life situations. And I imagine it works for others. Certainly they do, they do say that. Thank you for sharing that. Could you share with us the correlation between letting go of these surface level neurotic thoughts and keep going deeper and deeper and gaining access to big breakthrough ideas that's already within you? Can you speak a little bit more about how this is correlated? Yeah, the moment we can disassociate from the incessant thoughts that we have, the more freedom is available to us. So what I mean more specifically by that is, and I'll say it the opposite way, if we purely identify with the thoughts that we have, then we are subject to the thoughts by definition. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whatever those thoughts are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of our thoughts, for lots of reasons, are not necessarily the most helpful ones mm -hmm. to getting where we want to get to. So the moment we're able to create some space between the flow of thoughts and our observation of them as opposed to our identification of to them it's an it's a space that's created and we become observers of the thought that in and of itself is a game changer and it's something that some people can do and some people can't i think the people who can't do it either haven't had the experience or been led through the experience, or just can't make the leap to understanding fully that since they're thinking of it, then it must be their identity that's thinking of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is something else that's available through self-inquiry, self-reflection, which is that the you that is thinking is not necessarily you. Mm -hmm. So this is the tricky part for most people. But what does that make available? Even if you just were to approach it initially as a game with somebody and you say, look, okay, um, I get it. It's really hard to wrap your head around that because like you think you are thinking it and you have that sense that you're in here somewhere, like right over here somewhere behind your eyes. So <laughs> I get it. Let's just play a game and imagine what would it be like if you, if that wasn't you, right? And you didn't listen to everything that particular voice was saying and certainly didn't believe what that voice was saying. What becomes available? Suddenly there's this whole kind of dimension of freedom that becomes available because if that voice is saying, oh, don't start that company because, oh, God, it could fail or don't take that investment from that investor because what if you lose the money and it'd be, it'd be so difficult to deal with? Don't take friends and family money for your you know, startup idea because if, you, if it doesn't work, you're gonna have to see them all the time and it's gonna be embarrassing. There's a lot of different thoughts that come through. Now, ultimately, a lot of those thoughts are probably trying to be helpful, but if we don't identify them, we can push them aside and move forward from a very different place. So they give us a lot of emotional freedom as well. 
where our emotions are, are the way we feel about things are typically locked in right to the way we think about them. So that means that our emotional state and how we show up every day in the world with our friends, with our families, with our colleagues, if we identify with that voice is going to be controlled by that. So it, it provides very few degrees of freedom, right? If you're in lockstep with your inner voice, you detach from that inner voice. Now you observe the thoughts happening and now you have choice in, okay, I get that's a possibility, but I'm going to choose this direction. And that, that really will change your life. And when I say change your life in every area, in every respect, because suddenly you're steering the ship with much more agency than you were before. There's so much I could say there is there's, there's, there's seminar that's spent seven days or 11 days talking about yeah. this very topic. I, I will say more about that, but I wanted to drill in on the point of getting to that breakthrough idea. So can you say a, a little bit more about, yes, now you have agency. Now, now you recognize that you're not your thoughts, you're not your emotions. How does that get them closer to that breakthrough idea that they want? Okay. So let's talk about that. Now, typically for someone to have the kind of drive and motivation mm -hmm. to not just have the idea, because I want to also create a distinction between having an idea and actually executing on it okay mm -hmm. a lot of people have ideas mm -hmm. very few people actually take the steps to make those ideas come into reality mm -hmm. and and typically the reason why they don't and if you were to like list the top reasons you'll see that they're all based on adherence to that identification with the mind and the thoughts that's that's going through the person's self-talk Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of fear usually involved in that. Mm -hmm. Oh, why should I do that? Google's just going to copy it and do it. Put me out of business. That's a classic one. Or I don't have the time. I have three kids. There's no way, there's no way I, I could have the time to do that. All these very reasonable, by the way, that's I that's, make money as a full-time musician. Yeah. yeah. So, things, yeah. What's so tricky and insidious about them is that they all seem quite reasonable. Mm -hmm. And they kind of make sense, right? If you were having a conversation with a friend or an advisor or a mentor, you wouldn't sound crazy is my point. You'd sound quite reasonable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the point is that if we're going to achieve something new, you're talking about a breakout idea, it's going to take not only a, a state of mind that's unreasonable, it's going to take an attitude to move forward that is also unreasonable to achieve something unreasonable, which is this, the situation you're setting up for me in this question, which is I want to do a breakout product, right? If you said to me, oh, I want to create a company that does no innovation, that just creates something that already exists. And by the way, you could do that. You can say, I want to create a, a candle company that just makes little candles like lots of other companies. And I just want to do it and make a few dollars through doing that, whatever. It'll take very little time and innovation to actually probably pull that off. But if you want to create something out of the box, it's going to require a totally different mindset, which is the first part of our conversation, which means you must detach from all the things that will bring you down. Because what will get in the way for most entrepreneurs is their own mindset. Yep. And it's about being unreasonably persistent and not taking rejection 
because most rejection is reasonable rejection. <laughs> a lot of companies and investors will reject you on reasonable grounds. <laughs> That's just how the world works. And so you just have to be unreasonable to not accept them and just to keep going. And we know a million stories about how it was the unreasonability of the writer who was whose book was turned down by 50 publishers, but kept persisting and found the 51st publisher. The screenwriter who wanted a movie to get made, turned down by everyone, by every studio until they got it made. There's a million stories like this. And then we come to, okay, now you want to actually execute the idea. And there's a principle that I really believe in, which is the narrower we can create our boundaries, then the more freedom we have within that constraint. Okay. Mm. Say more about that. So essentially you're saying with constraint comes freedom. Exactly. If we want to create a company that, you know, does something, let's take, let's take a great example, probably one of the best examples anyone could use, which is the company Amazon. Okay. Mm -hmm. Today it's a 2 trillion, almost $2 trillion company, a global behemoth that no one would argue is just unstoppable. It wasn't always that case. And it was only going back 20 something years that it was a fledgling startup. And at that time, Jeff Bezos started selling only one type, one category of products, which Book. was of course books. Mm -hmm. Today, it seems crazy. What do you mean? They only sold books. Yes, they only sold books for years. Now, that is a tremendous constraint, right? He could have easily said, I just want to start selling everything. I see the vision. I see the future. Would it have worked? Maybe not. But certainly when you focus so narrowly, right, you find your audience, you find your niche, you optimize your systems, and then you can expand from there. It's a great example of how constraint can really allow for more freedom and for tremendous growth. And there'd be lots of examples like this. When somebody, for instance, uh, creates a TV show, you look at a lot of the TV shows, the more specific they are about a particular community, a particular life, the more interesting they are because they open up worlds of freedom within that. Think about how many TV shows, right? Whether they were about, what was it? Six Feet Under was about a mortuary family. That's a very particular situation, not very relatable by most people, but it was a hit TV show. And you look at so many shows like that are about these very specific communities or kind of lifestyles that open up worlds of, of creative opportunity for the writer and for the audience. What you're saying is, hey, remove the neurotic thoughts as much as possible. So, hey, I'm doing this because I want to prove my, to my parents that I'm smart. That's an you know, authentic thought, right? Remo that's remove that. Distraction, yeah. That's what right. I was like, And then when you get to a point is of, uh, I do it because I want to do it. There's nothing else just because I want to see this thing manifest in the world and you do it, right? But at that point still, it's still at the space of faith. I think <laughs> this is good. I trust in me. I trust in the whoever audience. I think if I like it, other other audience like me will probably like it too. Yeah. I'm gonna do it. And when you get to some level of success or audience size, then you can look back and say, "Oh, that was a breakthrough idea." So you don't look forward and say, "This show, this thing, this concert, this product is a breakthrough idea," 
and just move forward. It's more breakthrough ideas looking back. Yeah. Let's, I mean, let's go through it a little more deeply. Like sure. for instance, why do we want to start something to begin with? Mm. What is the impetus? What's the drive for the initial reason? Mm-hmm. Now, most good or great companies start with, of course, the classic, right? You're either making something better, faster, cheaper, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, solving some kind of real problem that somebody has. Okay. And right, you got to be solving a problem for someone to be willing to pay for it sure. right? or, or, or to spend their time on it or just sure. to engage in it. Now, typically, if you're just solving a problem, that could be a good business. But what makes a great business is if that solution, if the problem itself relates to a core value that you have, okay? Mm-hmm. With the companies that I had built in the technology world, they all had something in common, which was they all connected different kinds of people for different purposes that those communities had. Right. In the case of Earthweb, it was connecting technology professionals to share code, ideas, and, and information to make to help them get their jobs done faster and better. In the case of Dice.com, it was actually connecting employers uh, with candidates mm-hmm. more efficiently than anyone had done before, so that that efficiency was made. With iAmplify, it was about connecting people who wanted to learn certain things with the best teachers for that, for that, with the content. And with mind travel, right, is purely about connection, right? That is, that is the ultimate value of mind travel. I happen to do it through music, but I'm, it's all about connecting with your deeper self, mm-hmm. like we discussed earlier, and it's all about connecting with others in community and that mm-hmm. fine and beautiful balance of the individual and the collective. That's the value of that drives mind travel. So if you look at my consistency in expressing my values through my works, my projects, my companies, my expressions in the world, then there's a consistency there. Okay. So if somebody has an idea, but let's say it's divorced from their true value, or it just doesn't really resonate with their deepest values. It's because they saw a, a pot of cash. That's it. Yeah. They think, they think it can definitely make money. It's a winner. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it could be, it could work. It could be good. Yeah. But will it have the longevity? Will they have the energy to really see it through? Because I got to tell you, when you're an entrepreneur facing those headwinds and those headwinds are strong, it's so easy to get deterred. And the only thing that's going to get you through it to the other side is going to be complete relentless pursuit of the goal in a completely unreasonable way. And it, you, you, that's why you have to be a little crazy, a little nuts to, to do that to begin with. It's not for most people. I, I don't think it's for most people. But for the people who do it, it's so rewarding. The challenge, the journey itself is rewarding. It's not just about the exit or the payday. The whole thing is beautiful in and of itself. So. I think that's a really critical element is to tie the idea to your value. If there's a match there, right? If there's a good market validation to your idea and it connects with your values, you have a tiger on your hands, meaning you have something really powerful that can, that can become something really big because you have all the right ingredients in front of you. And so that's, where, yeah, that's where passion and purpose come from. If you're on purpose, what does that mean? If you're living a life that's on purpose, right? 
That means that your values are coincident with your actions. That's what that means. It's a very powerful place to operate from. So this is actually a great segue because we're essentially trying to unpack blockbuster ideas or this big ideas. It's right now pre-traction essentially is having a strong faith that you are getting the payoff right now because you believe in the core value, you're so passionate about it. So even if it doesn't pay off yet, you're getting a payoff right now. And then when you have both the internal and the external, that's when it becomes quote unquote blockbuster idea. Is that a good reflection of what a blockbuster idea may look like or the big yeah, break yeah, idea look like? You have to have market validation for it. If you have an idea that resonates with your values, but it's just this, the stupidest idea in the world, it's not going to go anywhere. to the market, to the market. So you've got to have an idea that has demand on the other side, even if no one knows that they really want it. Right. So perfect. So perfect. Here's a segue to my travel. Yeah. Cause you're going effectively against the grain. You're saying, Hey, let's do a long form format. Right. That's one. true. Yeah. Two, let's not entertain them. I want them to get in touch with themselves. It's very niche. I like it. I love it. I, yeah. I love ceremonies. I like to really do self-discovery. I like seminars. I like, I like to lean into my discomfort. I like the peak experiences, multidimensional, all that. Like I love, I'm part of your tribe for sure, but it's very niche. It's not Britney Spears pop music. That's right. That's right. And, so, and it's a very particular decision. Yeah. So in the design of it, before you get the traction that, that you wanted, how did you maintain that faith, that confidence, that determination to keep moving forward uh, in spite of going against the grain with everything, right? Not entertaining, not pop music, long form, yeah. you know? So say more about that, please. Yeah. And the short answer is I didn't care. Now, okay. now that's not a great answer because on some level, of course you care, but it's not that I didn't care, but I cared less about what people thought and whether they would actually resonate with it. I was able to not care here because I cared greatly over here. Now what's over here is for me, music and in particular, the way I practice music, right? Meaning the ritualized framework around music that I have through mind travel. It's, it's not like it is religion to me. It is my pathway towards managing myself, my state in the world, my way I relate to others and the way I conceive and conceptualize the universe, right? Now, what I just said could be a very clear definition for religion for many people. How do I regulate myself? How do I operate myself? How do I operate with others? How do I transact with others? And how do I think about the existential questions of the universe? That's what music is for me. That's my ultimate caring, right? That's where my caring lies. This so, is your truth. This is who you are. That's Mori. You want to evangelize your truth. This is your that's, vehicle. That's to my your truth. Life. It's a path that is very powerful. And I, I know it's worked for me and I'm articulating how it could work for others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's why if it's, if I put it forth authentically, when I started this, I had only two rules. 
The first was do it authentically to what worked for me. Don't mm -hmm. chase the experience that others are looking for, mm -hmm. which meant it was going to be a long form experience, not mm -hmm. second experience. It mm -hmm. was going to be all these uninterrupted. It was the format was quite different than what people were normally going to. So mm -hmm. it took someone who had a curiosity and an opening and a tolerance for something new to connect with it. Mm -hmm. But again, going so narrow, I think allowed me to identify an audience that they show up 10 times, not once, because it is such a powerful experience and it is different every time and we're different every time individually. So it becomes this pathway. So I was looking at a lot of your testimonials. There's one thing that I noticed clearly more than anything is they're all very beautiful. So other than being beautiful, how, what were the common denominators of your super fans? Uh, you know, I get, I, uh, one of the treats for me, probably the most fulfilling part is I get to meet so many thousands of people in so many different countries, cities, cultures, etc. And the feedback is so consistent yet the surface layer of what these people look like or what their identity is on the surface couldn't be more different right meaning that they're from every walk of life they're every age they're every sexual orientation they're every race they're every religion it's so heartwarming because ultimately what they're communicating is something that lies deeper than that surface layer of differences. And by the way, those differences are beautiful, right? I mean, that people look so differently is beautiful. That people have different faiths is beautiful. That people have different ideas and political persuasions and cultural practices and languages and food tastes and all that diversity is wonderful and part of what makes humanity so incredible. At the same time, underneath all of that sparkling glitter and beautiful multi-dimensional faceted jewels is this kind of consistent foundation of humanity. And it's an abstract and it doesn't look like anything except in the way it expresses itself. And that unity is something that I feel and I hear through the words of participants and through their eyes. No matter what else we have, our eyes underneath all of this externality, those eyes are the same and you can communicate so beautifully through them. And so that's really what, what I hear back is feelings of universal connection, belonging. So yeah. Laura, I'm gonna push you on that just a bit. I, I, I know that, but at the same time, my listeners, they don't know if they belong, right? As part of your tribe, as an example. So yeah. let, me, let me throw some words your way and then you can tell me, oh yeah, that's some of the common denominators. Okay. Are they uh, seekers into really dive into what spirituality, divinity means for them? Are they open-minded? Are they adventurous? Are they, do they want experiences? Are they spiritually sophisticated are any yeah. of those words landing or resonant to you you know i've experienced a, a beautiful range of this it's not one specific kind of person for instance it's not just people who meditate i've had many people who show up who have never meditated and are not into meditation 
they, they just don't want to go into that realm, into that world. But what I offer is very accessible because we're not doing any kind of traditional techniques. You can sit down, lie down, close your eyes and just enjoy the music. So you can have a powerful experience without having these in any kind of training and specific, you know, meditation techniques and still yet have a powerful experience. Now, people who do have deep meditation practices are able to take full advantage of this music and this journey as well. People that have done psychedelics and are willing to go into that realm, I mean, they surely derive tremendous value from it. If someone is not into that at all, they actually can access deeper levels of the mind and consciousness through what the music does um, mm -hmm. in its own way. Mm -hmm. um, every age group. Some people are looking to process grief. A lot of people who come because they're going through difficult times. They're processing the death of a loved one or the end of a relationship or a divorce or a business not working out or some kind of grieving process. And the music holds that space for them. So like we talked about earlier, so they can feel it and, and then take action to move forward. And then you have people who I think I've been rated one of the best date nights where people come and you know, bring their significant other and just have a very special bonding experience. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons why people come. Ultimately, for me, um, my intention is I want to bring wonder to people. Mm. I want to bring a sense of awe. Mm. I want to transport them, open up a new perspective, a new possibility from just the subjective experience that most people have, like we discussed. So I'm really in that, in that business of, I want to be in the wonder business. So thank you. No, that's a beautifully said. If you're into wonder and awe, this is something for you. For sure. For yeah. sure. If you're not into wonder and awe. <laughs> if you're into boring and ordinary, this is not for you. Got it. Okay, great. That's the thing, yeah. right? Like that, those states, right? Boring is an internal state. It's a completely subjective state. There's yeah. nothing out in the world called boring. That is true. Thanks. Just nothing like that. It's totally made up. It's something that if you are bored, it means you are lacking the imagination to create wonder in that moment, period. Um, that is you, can, you can stick me in the middle of nowhere, like nowhere, like you name it, an empty field that goes on for miles in Iowa somewhere or, or in the Antarctic in the middle of an ice field, you name it, anywhere you want to put me, I would find complete mesmerization with what's around. I just would. So this is a, again, a perfect segue to the next question. So COVID is happening right now. A lot yeah. of people are stuck at home and they're binging watching Netflix because they're bored or whatever reason, because they're challenged in many ways. So I know that in the past you have been quite an innovator in delivering the mind travel experience through silent right. hikes, you know, on the water speakers in the pool, doing yes. it at the beach, doing it in a the theater with visuals, um, doing it at Burning Man. So are there ways that you're delivering mind travel for someone who is stuck at home, yeah. be alone physically? Are you thinking about something like that? Absolutely, CK. So when this all came down for us here in the U.S., it was mid-March, roughly, when things really got locked down. And leading up to that point, I was actually on uh, a tour around the U.S., uh, which was scheduled to go to 70 different cities to bring the experience to. I was 10 cities in when we had to stop, and I came back to Los Angeles 
And then we had to regroup and we said, you know what, let's figure out the virtual thing. So many other people. And at first I was skeptical whether I could create the kind of intimacy and power of connection uh, through just a virtual experience. But we said, look, we got to try it. And I did it. And we ended up doing so many and we now continue to do them because while it's different, there's a moving power in it. So there's two kinds of experiences that I've been doing online. The first is the live piano concerts, musical journeys that I do from my home here. And I get, first of all, I get to play on my Steinway piano, which I don't get to tour around with. So it's a real treat to play on my favorite instrument. So people get to hear that and experience that in a very high quality way. So there's that, but I also do the silent walks. So these walking meditations. Now, while we're not doing it physically together, I do them via, everyone has their phone with their headphones and I'm guiding it and you can watch the video and then you're walking in your neighborhood. So you go to the beach, you go to the park, wherever you are, wherever you live in the world. And we do these and hundreds of people are joining from all places in the world and mm. walking in their respective locations. Yet we're still all walking together. Synchronously or asynchronously? Same Wow. At the same time, wow. live, live, we're doing it live. Wow. So yeah, that's our, 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 our phones enable that. So mm -hmm. I either do them through IG live or through uh, zoom. So we do them live and people sign up for them. And, and then there's a certain time and we go, and then you just walk in your neighborhood, wherever you can safely walk. And everyone should be getting out to move their bodies at least once a day, twice a day, just to create some movement that's so critical. So now we're doing that all together and we share in this comments and people can jump on the video and stuff like that. It's, it's magnificent, yeah. So I'm an innovator, so I like to tweak things. So I'm curious, have you thought about layering in your beautiful creation with some kind of holotropic breathing or a little bit of microdosing or some kind of a thing to even right. amp up even more? Look, if somebody wants to microdose while they're on it, I, I can't stop them. I'm sure people have done that in many of my concerts. <laughs> I'm sure they have. Um, so yeah, uh, that's something that of course is a personal choice and people are welcome to experiment uh, safely how they choose to. Certainly the experience with the music does lend itself to that kind of journey. I've personally taken medicine journeys which have been profoundly impactful and I actually channel what I've embodied from those transcendent experiences through the music. So yeah. for me, when I'm in the music, I'm almost replicating what it was like for me in that state. Yeah. And the music does allow for that because it's, it's an abstraction that stretches time in a very similar way. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask this question a little awkwardly. So part of my epiphany doing medicine journeys is, wow, it's really challenging to live a life as a human regularly. It takes a lot to be a healer because now you're carrying on somebody else's burden as well as part of a way to help them heal. In my mind, you've taken on maybe not exactly as a healer, but like a semi healer, so to speak. You're also helping people heal, overcoming yep. trauma, all these things. So is there a weight of, man, I need to really do this with as much sacredness as possible such that I can, you know, help these people as much as I can? What oh, I'm absolutely. I, I, I get the gravity 
of the suffering that people show up with. So I'll, I'll say that again. I truly get like how serious and the gravitas with which people are experiencing suffering and show up at an event of mine physically or virtually. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I take that very seriously. And my intention is to do my best as a human being to help shepherd that into a place of resolution or at least a pathway to resolution, at least showing another perspective that could be available to that person, mm -hmm. right? Through the music, through the experience, through nature, through all the elements that come together to conspire to do that. So it's my own training, right? Whether I'm a certified grief counselor, as an example, right? A certified meditation teacher, as an example, I've put in the work and the training. So I have as many tools as I can have in order to show up the best and most authentic way possible for the participants in the group, especially when we're doing more intimate retreats, as an example. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we started doing that and, and it was just so successful because we got to dive in for several days into these ideas, into the philosophies that drive this because you can bring those into your life in such a powerful way. And we're experiencing and we're releasing and we're just go, going through it at the same time. So it's very ontological, it's very experiential. And at the same time, we're also learning tools that we can take forward into our lives with us. So I love that. I love that. Thank you so much. I'm really excited about what's possible because in my mind, you are curating a transformational experience that dissolve away the neurotic thoughts as well as shifting their core identity of how they relate to themselves. Yeah. That's a beautiful journey. And then you're not just providing music, but also now you're layering on top of it, a lot of your philosophy, a lot of other ontological tools that you may have encountered or developed yourself. So I think this is really beautiful. So the question I have for you is, I know that in some of the podcasts you had talked about in the beginning part, when you develop my travel is all about self-expression, I'm just going to do it because I believe in it. Now you're at the expansion stage. So put on your entrepreneurial hat. How could you see this as a platform to expand the scale, the impact that this could potentially have to as many people as possible? I need to make more of me. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I, I joke, but in a way, not really. We already have, for instance, a bunch of incredibly talented teachers. They're meditation teachers primarily, and some of them do breath work. Some of them do visualization. Some of them do various techniques. They're all great at what they do. And they wanted to have the added dimension of the mind travel music to really facilitate that journey for people. Right. It's like, if you do it on its own, Right. If you're taking someone through, say, a meditative experience or a visualization experience on their own or a breathing experience on their own, it's effective. And now you add the mind travel music to it. It's one plus one is three. OK, so that's what they realized because they had done it themselves. Mm -hmm. So they actually are what we call mind travel masters and they use the music and the headphones and the whole system that we have to facilitate their own groups in their own cities, wherever they are. 
So we have a, a bunch of those folks that kind of we've certified and, and that are doing that. And, right. and so I, we, we were open to doing more of that. Again, if it's right, it's not about scale for scale. It's about, because again, if our purpose is to move people, right, to purpose through music, then, you know, we want to bring that to as many people as we can, but we have to do it in in, in a authentic and consistent way uh, with integrity to the experience. Beautiful. So two follow-up questions, and this is more of a personal curiosity. When you were shifting from being an entrepreneur to uh, a full-time musician, was, can you share with us a little bit about the identity shift? Is there any kind of identity shift? One presume, I, I have not come across anyone who didn't go through any kind of grieving process and the rebirth process. So yeah. if you're sharing that going from entrepreneur, totally left brain to being a musician, totally right brain. Yeah. Share with us that transition. That'd be really great. I'll tell you uh, at first the way I dealt with it, which maybe was appropriate at the time, but I definitely changed the way I dealt with it. So I'll take you through that. Hmm. At first, I really did compartmentalize the two. Okay. The entrepreneurial side of me that was expressing itself through various companies was really divorced from the music side of me. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, while I had a piano in my office, again, it was just my own personal thing. It was not what I was talking about with people. So if I was in a business meeting, I would really just focus on the business stuff. And if I was doing a, a side project with some musicians I was composing for, I didn't really talk about the, the, the business stuff I was working. I just really kept the two worlds separated. Mm-hmm. Part of that was I felt like one world would, would not have an appreciation for the other Mm-hmm. And therefore, I would be potentially taken less seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, my credibility would be diminished in some way mm-hmm. you know, if the two worlds commingled. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a long time. And the impact of that, I will tell you, was it created this rift within me. Mm-hmm. And it created dissonance within me as opposed to a consonance. It, it created this dissonance within me. And if you have, like music, if you have dissonance going on for too long, it really doesn't sound good. And it's okay for a little while. It creates tension, but unless it's resolved, it can really be a problem. And it created this almost schizophrenic rift within me that that was not only challenging, but I think it affected my own identity and made me feel unseen. It made me feel less seen by others because in almost every context, by definition, they were only seeing half of me. Did you get that, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you want to feel connected to someone and you want to feel understood by someone and you want to feel like you're you know, intimate with someone, you can't hide half of you. You, you have to have your whole self integrated. That's what... Being in integrity means you must be integrated. When I finally realized that, I started to integrate the two. Hold on. And I, and before, yeah. before, was there an incident, like a tipping point for you to say, holy shit, this is this dissonance. I'm not willing to tolerate anymore. Can you share that incident if there is one? It's not a specific moment, but it was more like, you know what? 
I'm just going to give this a shot because it feels so bad to keep it separate. Mm -hmm. So I just started doing it little by little. And not only were people cool with it, they embraced it thoroughly. Mm -hmm. There's companies I invested in or were part of that when I go to different cities, the customers, partners, people that I met in regards to those companies come to the shows, mm -hmm. the mind travel shows now, because they're just like, look, we go to a million business dinners and it's always the same boring conversation. We mm -hmm. go to dinner with you and we're talking about symphonic music and we're talking about meditation and we're talking about mm -hmm. consciousness, you know, right? So, so it's interesting. I want to underline this a bit. So guys, if you're thinking about this is a quote unquote dissonance or a weakness, really hear what Murray is saying. This is now an asset. It's an it's, asset. Absolutely. It's an asset. This is a trend. It's, it's not a weakness. You, right? yeah. The conversations you're going to have are going to be more multidimensional, mm -hmm. right? It's not going to be the same run of the mill. Oh, what does your app do? What does your app do? Who, who's your developer? Oh my God, it's so boring. Okay. <laughs> so if you want to stand out, like who, if you go, if you want to do a deal with, uh, okay, you want to do a deal with Apple. Now you go meet them. You can meet someone from there. Okay. These people are meeting everyone. Okay. Everyone wants to do a deal with them. Who are they going to do a deal with? They're going to do a deal with someone that they have the same conversation a thousand times a day with, or are they going to do a, a deal with someone that kind of surprises them in some interesting way? That's literally been my experience is that when I start to bring in these other aspects of my life and show this multidimensionality, then there's more relatability. There's more intimacy, there's more connection. And ultimately, no matter how virtual or big the world is, ultimately business is still personal. I think it always will be. It's about relationships. Could you share with them maybe a tiny micro step that they can shift? Because it's one thing to say, yeah, just go on and be yourself. Good luck yeah. to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got to be with you. So, oh, that's great in concept, but how the hell do I start? Can you, right. not knowing what you know now, yeah. you recommend them a tiny step that they could take to absolutely and, and and look i'm an extreme example because i actually you know have a whole separate career in music it's, i i developed it to such a, a large and degree but everyone has some quirky parts of their personality they have some hobby they have some interest they have something that makes them unique as a human being that they wouldn't even think to talk about in a business context right it could be the kind of food they like to cook or even the type of food they like to eat, certain languages or cultures. It could be something from their own upbringing, because especially in America, we are, we're, we're such a, a meld of cultures that by, by definition, when you're dealing with international companies and tech companies, especially, you're going to have people from all different walks of life. What, what about bringing up something from your own culture uh, that could be unique and interesting? right? Or some particular hobby that you have. Maybe you're into knitting or you're into uh, woodworking or sculpting or whatever it is, painting uh, or writing poetry. I mean, I, everyone's got something that they're interested in there. Maybe they're learning to play the guitar and they're, so they talk about a, a piece they're learning on the guitar and that sparks a whole conversation about music. That's a great way to connect with, with someone. Find points of connection through culture, through hobbies, and everyone has that. It's not about you must be the world's best you know, at that thing. It's not about that at all. It's just about finding points of connection and showing your personality, showing you the different facets of you, not just your business side, not just your entrepreneur side. 
Yeah, for sure. And, and really, I wanted to underline this a bit to what Murray is, is, is pointing to. This is the reason why Noble Warrior podcast started. Because okay. I'm interested in going deep on certain topic. I'm intensely yeah. curious about what everyone else is doing. I'm very curious about the meta learning process, right? How they think about the problem that arrived to their conclusion. And for a lot of people, that's not interesting to them. But I'm interested yeah. in that. So yeah. I want to have conversation with other you know, people who want to talk about it. And, yeah. and that gives me a great excuse to, hey, Maury, can you get on a, a podcast with me? And or, oh my God, you have a podcast? What is it about? That it is a great conversational starter too. And I got to tell you, CK, you just sparked another thought, which I'd like yeah. to share, which is if you want someone to think well of you and be in a relationship with you in business or any other kind of relationship, then the best thing you can do is show interest in them. Okay. Not as the role that they are. Okay. Let's really understand this not as the role that they represent, meaning they're the vice president of distribution at Apple or whatever. They're going to have a title or some kind of role. And obviously you're interested in them because of what they can do for your company. And that's okay, but they're still a person. So let's make sure not to dehumanize them to just their role identity, but get to know the person behind the role. They're not just the vice president of distribution. They're a human being with all kinds of challenges and life issues and interests and hobbies and all kinds of things. So just get to know them a little bit. Be curious about them. So in addition to sharing about yourself, which is great, be curious about them and see if you can draw them out a little bit, right? Not just like when you get on the phone with them or on a Zoom with them, oh, how's the weather where you are? Okay. You want to start the conversation that way, you're welcome to, but 99.9% .9 of people do that. And that's how every business call starts. Oh, where are you going? Oh, how's the weather? Oh, is this? Oh, is that? Right? It's just ridiculous. But what if you can <laughs> go in a different direction, right? Which is, oh, are you cooking anything interesting during COVID times these days? Are you, or something around that? Like, how have you found interesting ways to work out when you can't go to the gym? What are you, like, what's your routine? Oh, this is what I do. Really? You do that? That's a pretty interesting way. Great idea. So right? It, it could spark new lines of conversation that create connection. And then you'll get to the business stuff, but you're getting to the business stuff as two human beings in relationship versus like two roles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. I want to ask you a very esoteric question. One of the talks that you had talked about vibration impacts our reality. Mm. And this, this, this is a little metaphysical idea. And in my mind, the way I will articulate is, yeah, there's the subject reality and then there's the object reality. It, the object, the outside reality impacts my subject reality. And likewise, I can also create something that also impacts, reverberates to the external reality as well for everyone else. So I'm curious to know how you interpret or how you uh, create new reality through music. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. Um, and on some level, and we can get it, we can get to it another time. I would even challenge the notion that there is an objective reality. I would actually okay. challenge that notion right. because objective reality, really what you're saying, um, is for the consensus of yeah. many subjective realities. Yes. Okay? Yeah. That's actually what it is. It's, yes. it's not 
a truly objective reality. Because for instance, if I was a neutrino, okay, mm -hmm. like a neutrino particle, I would be flying through this desk and the whole earth for that matter, mm -hmm. without thinking that there was anything there. That's right. It would just be just empty space for me. That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, yeah. for, now, you know, for you and I, that's ridiculous. It's absurd. Okay. But there's a desk here. I see it. I feel it. I touch it. Yeah. Only because our subjective experience collectively is such that, yes, this is a hard surface and we can't put our hand through it. But th that's not the reality for everything, right? Yeah. In any case, that's a very fine, fine point. In terms of vibration, there's a wonderful phenomenon, especially with music, that when you gather people together in a theater, in a hall, and I'm playing music or any musician, it turns out that the brainwave frequencies that each participant in the audience has, right? They're each different because we each have our own brains generating electric impulses, which are brainwave frequencies. And each person will have their own frequency different from the person next to them. After a certain amount of time listening to the same music, there will be a gradual coherence between all the participants in the room where their brain waves will start to vibrate and emit frequencies at the same frequency level. Mm -hmm. Something pretty remarkable. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. So there is this ability to influence each other and our surroundings through frequency. So when we start to see the whole world and the whole universe as an infinite spectrum of frequency, mm -hmm. which is truly what it is. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening. That's all yeah. it is. We're everything, whether it's physical, hard matter, liquid, gas, everything around us. If it's made up of particles, or even if it's not, if it's, well, of course, arguably, uh, even electromagnetism, light, are both waves and particles. Yep. All of it is frequency. Mm -hmm. Just different frequency. Some of it we can sense. Most of it we can't. Correct. And so when we start to think of it that way, then everything's about manipulating and being in relationship with frequencies. And again, that's why music is so powerful. So can you concretize that a bit? How are you using this understanding? By the way, everything you say, I agree with you 100%. I think the fact that it, the more I learn, the more I, I, I learn that I don't know much of anything. So totally 100% agree with well, that's you. That's it should be. That's true for all of us. <laughs> well, so some people will say I, I, I know everything. Uh, as in, I'm so inspired. I'm the best at, at everything. Uh -huh. But that's not the subject of this conversation. Anyways, so with that understanding, frequency effectively influence slash create our reality. How are you using it as a way to powerfully bring forth and shift your reality. Can you share with us maybe a few rituals or prayers or intention setting type things as a way to shift uh, your external reality? Absolutely. So if we take, if we take a lesson from quantum physics, from quantum mechanics, we, we understand that at the fundamental layers of the universe, all things are probabilistic waves, okay? Mm -hmm. All that means for people listening who don't, who haven't studied 
quantum physics. All you, all we have to understand is that everything, every particle is in an uncertain state and it's in many locations at the same time. And some locations are more probable for it to be there than other locations. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, if we extrapolate that, okay, metaphorically, if we extrapolate that up to our level of experience, we can envision the future as this endless possibilities, these endless probabilities. Some futures are more likely than others, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Some mm -hmm. futures are less likely than others, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay? And it operates on this curve, just like quantum wave functions do, just quantum probability. And as we move through life, we're actually, like we talk about in, in the quantum world, we're collapsing the wave function. When we do that in the quantum world by observing the interactions, well, in the real world, by living, by our actions moment to moment, we're collapsing the life wave function, right? The past, we know what happened. There's not a probability of the past, right? Because there were many probabilities and we collapsed that down. When we look to the future, we can actually take it in as, I like to visualize this huge field before me with different pathways. And each of these pathways is a different future that lies ahead for me. I can choose this direction, that direction. And it's almost an infinite number of them. Mm -hmm. And for those who, and for the people who believe, and many physicists do believe that there is this notion of multiple universes where each one of our futures branches off into its own universe where it plays out. But if we start to really embrace that idea, it can open up more choice for us. And it's almost like we start to resonate on the level of the future that we want to call in. And we don't even have to think of that as a physical phenomenon. It's more an intention one because for most people, their future is actually quite narrow. If they don't have this kind of awareness, then their future, they've already resigned their future, typically because of fears and because of conditioning, social conditioning. They've already said, hey, this is the pathway I'm going to take. They've set that in motion. So there's really, there would be very few surprises for most people in their life of like COVID or something that's so outside the realm. In their personal life, there would be very little that would surprise them. Yeah. Um, and again, because people like stability and they like to have that kind of assurance in life. And, yep. and they go down that path. But there's another reality that's available for people where we truly open up to many different possibilities, some more probable than others. So how are you using vibration or music or intention as a way to shift the probabilities of your fa more favorable probabilities versus the less favorable? So those, yeah, so they literally are frequencies. So each future is like a certain note in the scale. And if I start to think about it, I'm generating brain frequencies that will actually resonate with that future. So that's the idea behind it, okay, is that if I can generate frequencies that can connect with that next future moment, mm -hmm. which is only a thought, 
That's all the next future moment is. Like, what's the next future moment but a thought? Which turns into a feeling and turns into an action. But what's the, if you were to look at someone's future, you'd say they would have to do a whole bunch of actions to achieve that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are those, if you were to reverse engineer it, the last action they needed to take had an action preceding it and an action preceding that and an action preceding that. And all those actions had some kind of belief and thought behind them. Yeah. So how do you start that chain? You have to create a certain chain of thought that cascades. And that's what intention is. It's exactly what intention is. I see. Okay. Intention is I am going to manufacture a thought that will trigger a feeling, which is going to trigger an action. And by the way, that way of being by showing up in the world that way will trigger other people's actions towards you. Mm. And that's why people say, oh, when you create that intention, you're attracting or manifesting things into your life. You don't have to think of it as some metaphysical, you don't have to. Mm -hmm. I actually don't. Mm -hmm. You don't have to. You can simply think of it as, take a second simple example. If you show up to a meeting with someone, a friend or a business person, whoever, partner, doesn't matter, anyone, and they're sitting like this. <laughs> hey, what's up? Like aloof, detached. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Depressed. I don't know. They're just like out of it. What's your energy going to be like? Mirroring exactly you're gonna, that. You're going you're gonna to be forced into that energy. I, I, yeah. There's no Unless you're just, and certainly, even if you maintain your own composure, yeah, you're still not going to go out of your way to want to, I don't know, like connect yeah. with that person. You're like, oh, this is like weird vibes. It takes a very special Dalai Lama level, magnanimous yeah. person to want to. You'd be like, oh, I don't vibe with that person. Like, yeah. Weird yeah. energy. Okay, now take the opposite example. The example is you show up in a room and someone is just like, hey, it's great to meet you. Great to see you. Great to see you again. Or if they're a friend, you, you, you jump right back into the flow of things. And there's a positivity. There's a connection. They see a sense of purpose in you, right? They see a drive. They see a willingness, a curiosity, all the things we talked about. Now, how would I want to react if I just met someone like that? I want to show up that way. <laughs> so now what happens? We're up-leveling each other. <laughs> And now we each, it becomes a create a creative loop. So now possibility gets created. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to create something with that person, you can do that. You can be like, hey, why don't we try this? Why don't we do that? Why don't we? And now things happen. I just got the goosebumps thinking about it. That's just, that's how shit happens. So guys, I want to underline what Murray just saying here. We could easily go into the esoteric, the spiritual, but really if this is the nature of human beings, we reciprocate on each other's behaviors. When someone else is, ex ex is excited, is joyous, we get excited. When you're excited, when you're joyous, other people get excited and, it, and then vice versa. When you're sad or angry, the energy reverberates to everyone around you. So it could be seem as esoteric, but really it's in my mind, this is as tangible as material as it is the nature of human beings. Do you mind going to a little bit of a rapid fire question then we'll complete? Yeah, and we'll be respectful of your time. Thank you. So who comes to mind when I say philosopher, entrepreneur? 
Oh my gosh, philosopher, entrepreneur. Yeah. Actually, one of my closest friends, who may, some people may know, he's a best-selling author. His name is Dove Seidman, and actually, he, he wrote the book How, which is a great book. And he also started a company called LRN, which does phenomenally well, and it has trained millions of employees of companies to do the right thing. So he's a moral philosopher by training,、uh -huh. um, having studied at Harvard and UCLA and, and Oxford, I think as well. And then he started a company that actually. Brings ethical behavior to the corporate world. Wow! So he's、That's... done both phenomenally well in one existence, and it's it's very impressive. And his book How is tells the story of it. I will get the book, and、yeah. I hope to interview him. Have on, on your show. <laughs> Thank you. What's your definition of wealth? Because you've have had money, and then also at one point in your life, you didn't have money. Knowing what you know now, what's your definition of wealth? I would define wealth as. Having the realization that you have everything you need to do whatever you want. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. In the last five, six years, ever since your transition, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Recently, or any time. In well, in the last seven years since you. Seven years. Okay, seven years. Okay. Since you transitioned.、Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Let's see. I I would say that this understanding that we are not we are not our our thinking mind exclusively is it, it's just the biggest game changer there is. And the moment that we find that liberation, there's a whole new existence that opens up to us. And it's that identification with the story, with the narrative of our lives. Again, it's another way of saying the identification of our thoughts, because the thoughts are just a progression of our own story or narrative, the way we interpret things. And once you're able to look around the world and not interpret everything from your own subjectivity and your own perspective, but you're open to a neutrality to everything. It's what the Stoics talked about a thousand years ago, and it's it opens up such freedom and liberation to just seeing things as they are, not as we see them. It's a big difference between the two. Yeah, beautifully said. Well, my friend, I want to acknowledge you for just how generously that you showed up in in this conversation. You've been super successful as an entrepreneur. You've been super successful now,、uh, and continue to be even more successful as a musician, as a creator of the mind travel experience. And we talked about many things. We talked about why you started the experience and the people, the the impact that you make with your show. We had talked about your creative process. As a way to really tap into the deep consciousness of who you are, and then also as a way to let go of the neurotic thoughts and all these charges that that one may have experienced in life. We talked about a way to set vision and use vibration to impact our reality. To thank you so much for just being so generous in in sharing your story、uh, and the willingness to do this with me without a, a safety net. I, I so appreciate you. Absolutely, I love it. Doing it live, like my shows, we improvise. <laughs> Beautiful. So, guys,、uh, with that said, 
go out and I'll share the link mind travel with, yep. with Maury and that's, it's a beautiful experience. It will allow you to tap into a part of you that you may not even know. They trigger a memory, a sweet memory that you may have. We may allow you to let go of something that you uh, wanted to let go of, but couldn't, or come up with a breakthrough idea that you always want to bring forward to, to the world, or just simply enjoy the experience and meet some really interesting people in person. So go check out my travel. Thank you so much for being here, Murray. Thank you, CK. Great talking with you. And, uh, I'll see you in the music.